What is culture in team sports? How do you develop it? And is it any different, say, to developing a management team in business? Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. To explore this and discuss memories of Camberwell and business, Wanzi is back with Don Argus AC. In business, as CEO of the National Australia Bank, Don created the number one valued Australian business by capitalization of the time, lifting the company from $5.5 to $37 billion. Later, as chairman of BHP, Don oversaw the sale of the steel division and dual listing with Billiton, increasing market cap by over $200 billion. Don is also a Camberwell player, supporter, and one of our most successful coaches in history. An enduring influence that helped create the culture, processes, and succession planning that underpin our ongoing success today. Here's Wanzi. All right, welcome to this week's podcast. Really uh, fantastic news to have um, such an esteemed guest along to the Campbell Hockey Club podcast in Don Argus. Uh, I'm sure very well known to listeners for the younger members of the club and those listening outside. I'll give some extra information about Dong's background, but I guess the simplest way to say it, he's had an incredible career from a business point of view, certainly, a career at National Bank and BHP, as well as some other companies, but uh, an amazing story in the business world and, of course, had a great love of sport and we were lucky enough at the Campbell Hockey Club to see him come to the Campbell Hockey Club many years ago and he had a huge influence. So welcome, Don. Thank you for making the time. What we'll do today is we'll explore, I guess, how you got to the club in the first place, which is quite an interesting story. We'll talk a bit about the era at the hockey club um, and the influence you had and the teams you coached, some of the people involved, and then we'll get into your business career as well because that is certainly of great interest to um, to all of us. Uh, and then we might just finish off at the end talking a bit about post-career, I guess, and, and some of the areas you're interested in still. But firstly, let's just have a, a quick recap. You came down around 1980, as I recall. I know your story pretty well, but you'll be able to fill in the details. A Queensland boy. Uh, Redcliffe, you came down, as I understand, as a National Bank credit manager with three young daughters. Do you want to just fill us in a bit on how that all happened and how you came to Melbourne? Yeah, sure, David. Uh, 79 it was we came down. It was uh, in April. It was as cold as charity at the time. And uh, I was posted to uh, a, a town in Queensland called Gladstone, a tough town. Uh, they were building the uh, coal mines and uh, the Camelco uh, smelter at Gladson and uh, wasn't a good place to bring up three uh, three young girls or three young women. So, uh, but anyhow, um, the bank had been trying to get me to uh, lo- relocate out of Queensland for a number of years and, uh, and I rejected that, but uh, they gave me the option of uh, my next move was to Mount Isa or Melbourne, so uh, it uh, didn't take long for us to make a decision that, uh, well, let's try Melbourne. Uh, it was a tough induction, um, and I uh, I say quite publicly that uh, it was great to uh, have had associations with sporting bodies, including the Campbell Hockey Club, and in particular, Collie Wansford and uh, Ali Carnell and Billy Horman and, and the late Peter Collins, and uh, they made the, uh, I suppose, the transition from a, an idyllic uh, lifestyle where you had mud crabs for lunch and that sort of stuff in central Queensland to a uh, uh, probably a, a faster environment and uh, 
and that took the family some time to uh, resettle and to uh, we had to find a home and um, but having a having a club like Campbell to uh, accept you into was uh, was quite a uh, uh, quite an achievement for us and they were very helpful how did that happen? How did you get to Camberwell? What was the connection? Uh, well, uh, Colin and, and and the family had been up to Queensland, and I'd uh, I'd met uh, Colin up there, and I'd played played hockey. I hadn't played hockey against Col at that stage um, in the interstate uh, section. You wouldn't be here today to tell the story if you had. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> But uh, but anyhow, it was uh, we had we had some good times. So um, uh, we went out and uh, played a few games of hockey up in Queensland, and uh, he was up there on business at some stage, and um, and he went back to Victoria. But that was uh, that was the connection, and uh, and as I said, they uh, they were very helpful in that transition. And when you came down, Arg, um, with the hockey side, we'll get to the the NAB side, but the hockey side, you. You became the coach of Premier League or State League, you can explain that, but you're also playing, as I recall, in the twos, is that right? No, I, I played, in, played in the veterans. I played okay. in the veterans. No, I'd retired by then at, uh, from from playing competitively, but uh, Cole again uh, convinced me that I should uh, play uh, in the veterans, and that, and that was that was also a good outlet, and, uh, and then we had a had quite a bit of fun, and uh, a lot of the old Campbell guys from the uh, the Halcyon days of uh, of that era uh, were playing in the veterans, and um, and it was uh, you'd play a game and you'd have a drink afterwards, and uh, that was uh, quite convivial. So uh, uh, we uh, we enjoyed that. But Alan Alan Carnell was the uh, coach of the Campbell Club at the time, and he invited me down to watch a few games. I can remember one infamous day at uh, we went out to Manningham Oval to watch uh, the uh, the ones who were playing in second division. I think they'd been uh, relegated for some time. They went through a bit of a flat period, and um, and we were, we played. I think it might have been Powerhouse, and uh, and uh, they got some six nil, and there was. Uh, a ground that I wouldn't even even play on. But uh, if you they presented something like that in Queensland, you'd go to the pub and uh, probably toss a coin to see who shared the points. Well, you would have come to um, you would have come to Camwell and seen the Red Cinders. That would have been a, a bit of a shock to the system. Was the Cinders still down in nineteen eighty, or was the pitch down? I'd, I'd play. I'd played on the Black Cinders in sixty four on the way over to Perth. Okay. We uh, we went over to the Australian Championships and uh, we had a we had a pretty good side and um, we played a trial game. It may may have been against Campbell. I can't I can't recall that, but we did play on the Black Cinders. And then I was uh, quite amazed when I went down to the club and saw this red surface and I I did inquire what happened to the Black Cinders. So it was it was it was quite a transition to play on. That sort of surface, as distinct from uh, a bumpy grass ground. Yeah, well, a lot of the young listeners wouldn't really know what we're talking about in terms of cinders or even muddy, muddy grass grounds at, at Manningham, but they certainly were different and very different between the states. So then, how did uh, was it Ali Carnell that sort of lured you into looking at coaching the Premier League? 
he invited me down to help at the club uh, with the coaching side of it, and uh, and I enjoyed that. There were a lot of um, a lot of younger players, there were a lot of a lot of strong personalities. Uh, I can remember uh, uh, Wayne Thornton. He was uh, he had a very strong personality. He was a uh, he and I had a bit of a, a bit of a debate about how a centre forward should play, and. Uh, uh, and he certainly wasn't in listening mode, so that was that was fine. Um, uh, there were quite a, a number of younger guys, the Cashmere boys, um, the Ambrosi boys. Um, the uh, but the team was was a soft team. Teams sort of uh, intimidated them, and. Uh, and I can always remember saying to uh, Ali, I said, "Oh, I said you, you need to get a bit of steel into the backs of some of these guys. Have we have we got some other juniors coming through? Uh, you hadn't arrived at that stage, David. You were still playing in the juniors, and um, uh, there were, then there was a an influx of about four players, I think, from Moorabbin. Uh, there were the two Dalton boys. Uh, there was Greg Reed and um, and uh, Neil McLean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Macca was there. Yeah. Ali, Ali Hart. So, um, just on, um, you're probably going to talk about the two Dalton boys. You know, they're worth just highlighting. Rob Dalton, obviously, a lot would still know as the long-time president of Hockey Victoria. He's had a he's had a big impact and um, was a very good player in his own right. And of course, Steve Dalton, the younger brother, who was an incredible talent, you know, a bit of a wayward talent, but he he certainly uh, won some some games of hockey in your time, Don. Oh, he he was a, he was one of those X factors that uh, you'd uh, you'd make sure he got the ball at uh, at a critical stage, and uh, he was he was a very skillful ball runner. And in those days, um, it was very hard to run a ball on some of the bumpy tracks that uh, the teams played on, and as distinct from the uh, synthetic surfaces. But he had great ball control, and he had uh, a magnificent shot at goal. He was uh, never, he was hardly ever offline, and uh, but he he drifted and out of a game, and and uh, trying to develop him to sort of stay in the game when the ball wasn't near him was uh, uh, quite quite a task. But he um, he responded, and uh, he won quite a few matches of his bat for us too. He might have won a, an eighty-six grand final, I recall, against Altona. He might have hit four of the five goals or something. He did, he did indeed. He did. But, you know, it was a great – he was, a, again, a lot of people this era wouldn't have had the privilege of seeing him play, but he was certainly X Factor. And, and Rob, obviously, was almost incredibly different. He was very structured and very organised and meticulous in his um, in his preparation. And yeah, so you talk about the whole different sort of players, some young ones, some experienced ones, some steel. Um, you, you had an ability to bring that together. Um, what was your philosophy? Why were you – if people talk about you as a coach now, all of us, as we reflect, you know, you had you had a talent and probably did flow across the business to mould mould a group. Yeah, look, it, it's it's really um, it's how you put teams of people together, and I I've often reflected in um, in a business environment that putting a team of sportsmen together is no different from putting a a leadership team together in a uh, in a large organisation and. Uh, the first thing you've got to do is to get everyone to at least respect each other, and uh, 
and a team team game isn't a, shouldn't be a selfish game because you're only as good as your weakest link. And and it's it's how you get everyone involved. And I try to get everyone involved. I try to get everyone to uh, see some development for themselves within the group of people that you're playing with. And once you start to get that sort of uh, uh, mentality developing, then that develops your culture. People, people, and textbooks talk about culture, but t- culture is all about how peer groups interrelate, interrelate to each other and how they trust each other. And uh, and if you if you're honest with yourself as to where you're contributing, and I used to, as you will recall, David, I'd invite everyone to contribute to where they thought they would contribute in a game and uh, and I'd hold them to that and if they didn't they didn't do the job that they were supposed to do and uh, then uh, I I would tell them and uh, plead with them to try and uh, try and understand the point of view of the person that was helping them and and that's been a philosophy I've had right through now not everyone wants to fit into that sort of coaching style but having said that, you also need the X factors. Uh, you know, you've uh, you can go through a range of people. I spoke about Wayne Thornton. Wayne was a centre forward, and his philosophy was you he'd get high and you'd have to get the ball to him. And I said, no, 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 no. We're all going to try and do our bit of work off the ball too, Wayne. And so uh, when I picked him at one stage to play inside right, that was like the end of the world. And we had quite a quite an interesting uh, debate about how he should play that. And uh, even to the extent that he'd come back and and take a ball deep in the defensive zone. And I don't think he'd ever been in a defensive zone other than someone else to score a goal. So, And, and, and when we won our first premiership, uh, he actually laid a ball off to David. Uh, I, can, I can still see the, the goal to David Cashmere. Under the crossbar? He just on the top of the circle, and David whacked it, and it went just under the crossbar. And it was it was just a magnificent piece of hockey to watch. And and and, and I reflect on that, and I think, well, he may not have been showing signs that he he was comprehending the game plan, but uh, at the end of the time, uh, in a tough spot, he did it, and uh, and it came off. And it was that was that was that was one of the classic games of hockey. That I saw played on a, uh, a, a not uh, uh, not a very good field. So, um, but anyhow, it was uh, it was done, and uh, uh, we got the uh, we got the uh, the lollies. So that was good. That might have been the '84 Premiership against Waverley, where I think a Queenslander might have been lining up for the for the Waverley side at centre half in Trevor King. He was a pretty handy Queenslander. He, he wasn't a cream puff. Yeah, no, he wasn't a cream puff. He was he was one of the the better better players of controlling a game of hockey, and I think that was your first year in the first division too, wasn't? It? Uh, yeah, eighty four. And I can remember saying to David, I said, "David, please please hold your position against Key because he'll draw you out." But I can always remember the first first time he got the ball, David went up in his style to attack the player with the ball, attack the ball first, of course. And um, it was, um, but he learned learned quickly, and it uh, and it was it was quite a quite a seesawing game, and uh, that's one of those memorable games that you uh, you don't forget. Yeah, I think uh, going back to Wayne Thornton, yeah, he was a bit of a childhood hero for me, and then you get to play alongside, and you obviously um, you, you find out 
more about the person, but I, I think Jack Rewalt, dare I use a football um, analogy, but I think someone like Jack Rewalt Richmond's probably um, a bit of a similar, you know, highly talented and um, and started to learn, you know, under different coaches and different methods, um, how he could yeah. be a, more of a, a role player. But he was, a again, one of the great Camwell players. I think he might have scored two goals in his um, maybe one and only international game against Pakistan back in the in the day. Now, argue, yeah. you know, had an incredible span if you go through that decade or so of coaching Premier League because at the same time you were uh, progressing through the ranks at, at NAV and we'll get to the career part, but it must have been uh, quite tricky at times uh, coaching a couple of nights a week and weekends, um, young daughters and um, and the balance with, with your National Bank career aspirations. Yeah, it was, David, but but Pat's always been very supportive, and and the three girls had joined the Campbell Hockey Club too, and uh, so that made it uh, even more interesting to try and sort of get around to try and see some of their games too. But it, it but again, hockey was the glue that sort of uh, helped us settle into Victoria and 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 help us settle into a lifestyle that uh, that turned out to be beneficial, and and they. We came to Victoria on the understanding that uh, that I would try to uh, be as good as I could in my professional life, and uh, and they, uh, they and we had a family discussion about that before we came down, but on the condition that uh, that I probably would be more regular in my attendance at uh, at home, and uh, so uh, so it was it was. It was quite interesting to match your work environment with your sporting environment, but but equally the sporting environment gave me um, me sort of relaxation away from the things that were going on in the business world at the time, which of course around '83 when we floated the Australian dollar and the financial services sector was opened up and. All the entrepreneurs were at their best telling the bankers that they didn't understand how balance sheet worked and all of this sort of thing. So there was a fair bit of pressure. And, of course, we had the the infamous guys um, outside of sport like the Alan Bonds and uh, and the uh, uh, the Robert Holmes of Courts and these sort of people that uh, would demand you work 24 hours to uh, to service their needs. So, yeah, it was, but it was, good. It was a great outlet and, and the guys – and at that stage, I think I've always believed that in any endeavour in life, succession planning is important. And if you're not there, if you've got a a, a, a really committed winning team, whether it's a sporting team or a professional team of business, then having someone to step into your shoes if you're not there for a particular reason was pretty important. And I always believe that uh, you set your strategy from within the group of people that you're working with. And if they take ownership of that strategy, it, the coach, it, it makes coaching pretty easy. And I found coaching the 80s team at Campbell a lot easier than coaching the team at Redcliffe that had similar type results, but probably had different uh, approaches to life rather than uh, probably the the intellectual rigor that uh, the team went through in their formative years in Victoria. So, 
uh, it's quite interesting just to sort of make that sort of a comparison. Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing is, as you make that comment, um, you know, that team, that era, um, a lot of personalities you mentioned, strong ones, and there's a whole range of careers those guys had off the field, you know, the, the Andrew Minters and Rob Dowlings, Rob Dalton as well, some of the youngsters, Jay Stacey was coming to the club then, and, um, you know, it's a bit like Hawthorne in football who've produced a lot of coaches on the back yeah. of a good culture and a good era. I think you you were, apart from winning premierships, you created a lot of, had a big impact on a lot of people's careers and lives, and you can still see today, you know, they're a bit, bit sort of self-driven, just needed your strength and guidance to um, to get there. And, and you created that that culture, so um, it is it's it, it is fascinating to to look back. Yeah, look, but I'm I'm pretty proud of of, of some of the people that I've helped develop, and uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm proud of all that that uh, group of people that we had during the uh, the eighties in uh, in Campbell, and uh, and and see them go on and, and achieve things they want to do. But but equally back at Redcliffe, you know, there's some there were some brilliant hockey players there. There were some really class class athletes and strong athletes, not as intellectually uh, as rigorous as perhaps the Campbell group. But again, uh, a lot of them have gone on to achieve some very good things and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's good. I'm not sure you would always agreed when you saw players throwing other players' hockey sticks into the zoo on a you know pre-finals training preparation. Uh, no names, Greg Reed, Andrew Minter, Rob Dowling, but that was all part of the fun. The... Um, the, the the culture, we're just going to jump back to that and, you know, there's lots of different examples and textbooks, as you say, but I remember clearly, and you may or may not remember this story, but Jay and I had actually just been in um, Europe um, and played at the Champions Trophy, which Australia had won in uh, in Amsterdam, as I remember. And we, we came back to Matlock Park on a Saturday, probably a bit jet lagged, but, but feeling pretty happy with ourselves. And, um, you know, the local crowd and families were down and friends to watch us. We were going to strut our stuff, but... Um, we found ourselves sitting on the on the bench for the first half mm-hmm. as Coach Argus decided that uh, these two uh, would be um, you know world hockey players needed to uh, understand they were back playing for Campbell. Do you do you vaguely remember that? Um, I, that I, remember, I remember I remember it extremely well. <laughs> but again, uh, it probably took you a long time to uh, to understand what I was trying to achieve because it's uh, it's just more than. Than uh, you know, one or two people, and uh, whilst I never doubted the talent of uh, of you or Jay, but uh, again, we we developed a, a framework in your absence, and um, and uh, I didn't want to sort of uh, disappoint those that had contributed in your absence, and and that's the same. It's it's the same in in the business world. You'll you'll find that you'll have standout individuals that sometimes. Uh, Get recognition that others don't get recognised, and uh, and you've got to make sure that you recognise everyone's contribution. And I, I've always tried to do that, and uh, and, I, and that's worked particularly well for me both in sport and in um, and in the business world. Probably hasn't worked so well for me when I played, but uh, but there it is. That's uh, that's the way it uh, it goes. Now, one last sort of memory around the Camberwell side, and we could talk for ages, but I. There was a bit of a theory going around that um, uh, when you were around in September for finals, that we uh, <laughs> may not always win the yeah. There's the odds and evens years where we won a lot of premierships in the even years for a while. There's also a bit of a theory that when you were around, we might not win the grand final. If you're <laughs> off on business for a grand final, we might win. So yeah. there was a story that players were checking with the yeah 
your uh, secretary just checking what the diary looked like in September in advance, just to see what our what our chances were like. Um, off to the business side. So you came down with NAB, and and you know people, unless you've been through that, would not really understand. But to come to Melbourne from Queensland, Melbourne establishment, the Melbourne banking scene, National Bank was the preeminent bank for a long time, and and. Um, as you arrived with the likes of Nobby Clark and others and um, and you took it to, to new heights. But to sort of break into Melbourne, um, to, you would have had to have proved yourself. You were, as I say, juggling hockey, family and study as well, I think, at the time. Um, tell us a bit about what those initial years were like and and um, and how you made your way. What, what was the defining things to, to set you on your path? Yeah, look, uh, it was tough, David. It was very tough, um, and I can understand that because there was a the, over over time. Um, NAB was a, a Melbourne-based bank uh, and uh, populated with some uh, very smart people. Uh, some of them weren't that practical, and some of them hadn't been out in the field and understood how a branch network worked, and uh, and. When you when you're sort of thrown into a administration area, and you're creating uh, a framework within which people are comfortable working, no matter what stresses they have, um, if they have no trust for you, and and, and and that's natural, you've got to you've got to earn your trust. You've got to give respect to get respect, and. Um, and I had to go through that learning period, and they put me in charge of some of the the up and coming stars of the bank who were working in Melbourne office uh, to overview their lending practices, and that didn't go down particularly well with these highly intellectual and and superstars. So we had some we had some uh, interesting bouts, and. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, I'd, I'd had the practical experience of having to collect debts in uh, some awful places and um, I'd been over the mines helping with the development of finance for a mine site. And I'd have to say to you, what, what I learned later in life uh, in BHP indicated to me just how fickle banking can be because I can tell you the assumptions that we made in the original coal mine exercises in Queensland were so far off reality, it's scary that we got away with it. So um, they're the sort of things that you need to think about or I think about as I think back through my professional career and think, think in terms of you know, I was lucky that I was able to get out into the field and, and have some practical experience and understand how things work as distinct from just being in an inner city environment. So, yeah, look, it was tough. So, so the the NAB hierarchy must have identified you, you know, early days as you came to Melbourne. You know, you don't just get um, through that. I mean, obviously you worked hard and what have you, but somebody must have or a group must have identified you and um, were you sort of not fast-tracked, but did you see that path coming? Was it encouraged? How did that all oh, play out? They'd started, they'd, uh, they'd started about five years earlier and um, to try to get me to uh, to go interstate. And at one stage there, they were contemplating sending me to Papua New Guinea to, uh, to be involved with the bank up there. And I, 
I said I wasn't taking girls up there. So uh, so I, I think I might have been a bit difficult to manage as a, as a field operator, David, and um, and I I didn't have a great deal of respect for some in the administration and I, I sort of, uh, I guess if you embarrass people, uh, you don't you don't sort of get people on side. So uh, um, I was sent to to Gladstone, I'm sure, to uh, uh, to teach me a lesson about weaning me off off my sporting interests. Because at one stage there, I was contemplating applying to be a coach of the Australian hockey side. I'd picked up a an international coaching certificate, and uh, so uh, I had the had the credentials and I had a, a few wins on the board and, and uh, so um, I'd, I'd seriously, really seriously go thought to leaving the bank because I could see that it was becoming a bureaucracy and personalities were sort of becoming involved. But uh, a guy by the name of Jack Booth who, who uh, ran the bank, uh, I penciled for as, a, um, as an analyst in Brisbane and he tapped me on the shoulder when I was about 28 years of age, and he said, "You know, you're not going to make a lot of money playing hockey, mate." And uh, so that's when I went back to study and started to give it serious about a about a career, and so and that uh, that turned out pretty well for me. And so just into the sort of the the I guess the 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 depth of of, of National Bank, the the I remember some stories from you at various times. You mentioned earlier about some of the businesses you are lending to and dealing with. Um, the Again, people today wouldn't all remember, but the Alan Bonds and Laurie Connells and these sorts of guys, um, cases around that time must have been incredibly stressful, incredibly, I'm not sure if the word exciting as a banker, but um, that would have taken a lot of your time and intellect and um, and yeah. management. How, what, what, how do you, when you look back at some of that stuff, is it, um, it was quite an amazing era, wasn't it? Uh, Robert Holmes of Court was the smartest guy that I've uh, I've seen in business, even to today. He he taught uh, the Australian market all about options and, and uh, derivatives, and uh, he uh, he made his in '87 he made his big big play for BHP and uh, with a with a two dollar paid up capital company, and uh, he finished up walking away with. Uh, Something like around about twenty nine billion, and so it's um, he, uh, he made a lot of money out of the the way he played the uh, the BHP game, and I learned a lot from that exercise. I've written extensively about it, hopefully in in case studies with uh, with Professor Danny Sampson from Melbourne Uni, so that people do understand some of the nuances of when you're dealing with the real smart cookies like. Like that fellow, um, uh, you've uh, you you it, you can pass it on. Uh, John Elliott, um, John was a very very one of the other smart guys. Every Christmas he'd want to take something over, and he'd want a, he'd want an answer by uh, probably the uh, the New Year, early New Year. And I, I'd, I'd hate to think how many uh, of those uh, uh, Christmas uh, celebrations were interrupted by some major deal that was going around. I think the um, the uh, Brian Gilbertson affair with uh, BHP Bulletin when um, he and the board uh, parted company was probably one of the most stressful times of my life. I reckon that took a few years, gave me a few more grey hairs, but that was 
That was a, that was a tough one where personalities were involved and that sort of stuff. So you've you sort of uh, you sit back and reflect on that and just realise just how valuable your family can be in that sort of a that sort of an environment. I think the uh, the Rio transaction um, where the Rio board uh, walked away from 50 bucks a share by being bloody minded because of one individual is one of the one of the worst exercises I've seen in my life in in uh, corporate governance and uh, and business uh, judgment uh, and I'll go to my grave uh, Lamenting that uh, we didn't uh, we didn't pull that one off, but again, uh, it was a pretty gutsy call to walk away from it when we just about had it done. When the commodity markets fell out of bed and, and our balance sheet would have been really, really labouring with um, with debt. So you're referring there to when BHP, um, when you were chairman of BHP and and Rio Tinto. As I recall, and you can fill me in here, but it was around '98. When you so you finished at National Bank as as CEO, an incredible career. Ninety ninety nine, I finished finished but now, but ninety 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 nine, and uh, and and one of the proudest thing was that uh, I was lucky enough to lead the bank uh, to be number one on the uh, ASX by market capitalization, and uh, and that was a that was a, a very good effort given that the Australia had been through a recession in the uh, early nineties and. And the team were able to pull that through and uh, make it the number one company in Australia, and we were pretty proud of that. And um, and then to see it disintegrate from 2000 on, that was that's that's that weighs heavy on uh, the hearts of uh, of that executive team that were in place at the time. A bit like the Campbell side of the 80s. Fortunately, they had success in the, in the 90s, and 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 you go through these lulls in. Um, in, in cycles, and um, and that was uh, that was a lull for for uh, from there. But it's been a lull now for around about uh, twenty odd years. So I hope that the new CEO at NAB is able to bring it back to its uh, former glory. Be tough, but it, it uh, he's, uh, seems to be on the right track. So while we're on the the banks at the moment, Don, I mean it's uh, into today's world. It, it's a pretty you know, incredible time right now, given um, you know, the, the COVID and what have you. You, you wouldn't uh, envy any any CEO running a running a banking business right now, would you? No, they're they're doing it tough, but they've got to they've got to go back to to tours again, David. They, they haven't. They look when you're setting a budget, you've set budgets yourself. When you're setting a budget, the easiest thing to do is to get rid of the education part of it, and they haven't been educating. And, and looking after their staff because it's the people that make things happen in organisations. And if you can mobilise those people, and whether it's a sporting event or whether it's a whether it's a business event, and they haven't educated their staff, they brought in a lot of uh, a lot of outside people, and there's nothing wrong with bringing outside people in. But if you lose your corporate memory, then you lose that at your peril. And this is what happened at NAB. They lost their corporate memory. They were there. People were trying to achieve and do their best. And uh, but unless unless if, if you've got a, a large footprint and and a big staff to talk to, 
unless they're with you and if they get confused that you're not going to you're not going to achieve the things that you want to achieve no different from a sporting team david if you if your message isn't getting across you won't win games so quite amazing when you as you go through your career to 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 take nab to the to the largest company in australia but then to move into you know probably the other blue chip um uh, company in, in the asx in, in a global company in um BHP is a remarkable achievement. Before we talk a little bit about BHP, I um, I would like to tell a little story around when you took on the chairmanship of BHP and you'd only just taken that on and you came out to watch, uh, as you've always done, uh, post your coaching career at Campbell, come and watch, keep in touch with the team. And I think I might have been captain coach this particular grand final against Doncaster in a game that I was told by a great colleague of ours in Greg Reed, who's doing it tough right now, that we didn't have a chance of winning that grand final, which, of course, tended to get me a little excited. But mm. cutting a long story short, we managed to get um, up in a bit of an upset. And um, with a couple of minutes to go, I might have been behind the net, not for the first time in my <laughs> career, having a, having a rest. But you were kind enough to come down in your Dunlop volleys on the muddy slopes of the hockey centre and give me a bit of advice with lucky <laughs> uh, dryer in the net, I think, and giving me some instruction on where I could move certain players. And I had the great privilege of being able to tell the current BHP chairman where he could go, he could nick off, and uh, we were four one up with a minute to go, and we were, we'd be right. So I said, go and get those beers ready for the for the change rooms. So at least you did the, you listened to that part, and you got the club yep. into the change rooms and got the, got the beers ready, which I thought was a was a magic moment that you could still, at the grassroots, come and enjoy a um the, the club's sport. So the BHP um, the BHP challenge. Your, lang- your language is a bit more colourful than what you just explained, David. Yes, it sh- so it should have been. Um, in the BHP, um, you know, it was an incredible time for you there to um, take that job on. That completely different set of challenges, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, when 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 I well, I joined BHP in '96 um, because I was talk- thinking about uh, succession planning in NAB. And uh, my chairman was kind enough to let me uh, join BHP. And BHP was going through a downtime. And uh, in 1999, when I became chairman, we'd uh, we'd recruited uh, Paul Anderson, an American from the United States, to to, uh, resurrect BHP. We were flat out paying a dividend in 1999. And I can always remember Chip Goodyear, another another brilliant mind that I've worked with, um, uh, came to me and he said, how do you feel going to your first AGM and telling them that you can't pay a dividend? And I said, uh, Chip, you've only been in Australia nine months. I said, you must realise just how parochial shareholders can be. And he said, yes, he said, I do. And I said, well, perhaps you should go away and come back and talk to me perhaps tomorrow after you've really had a look at uh, what we've got in front of us. Anyhow, we were able to pay a dividend that wasn't much, but it was something, and um, and we were able to get our story right as to where we were heading, and um, and of course it, it became uh, the number five company in the world in uh, I think two thousand and nine by market capitalisation, and um, so we were able to. Uh, take advantage of the China phenomena and uh, and the pricing, and uh, that that itself is a um, is still topical as to how you deal with China. And I smile when I I listen to it. But uh, 
yeah, there was some there was some there were some interesting challenges in, in that period of time. But to, the biggest the biggest challenge I think I've ever come across, David, or one of many, uh, was the uh, the decision to float off the steel division of BHP, which of course was the the iconic symbol of Australia, you know, the company of steel. And uh, that took around about 12 months to get through. And I'd have to say on reflection, um, you needed an outsider to change the traditional thinking of a company or traditional thinking of of a a group of people. I'm not sure that I would have had the... uh, the intestinal fortitude to, um, to to go to the public and say um, we're going to float off the steel division because we're going to concentrate purely on mining. That was that was a big move, and um, and the you can I think I got tired of looking at numbers and the benefits and those sort of things. So. That was that was yeah that was one of the the unsettling parts of uh, of a life. Yeah, look, it's it is hard for us common folk that are that are stressing about whether our footy team's going to win or our uh, pay annex bill. But some of the stuff you're involved in from a business level must have been incredibly intense and yeah. um and difficult. And I guess that's why hockey proved to be a um uh, you know wonderful outlet. It was a great outlet. Um, and sport, obviously, just a, I guess the other area I was going to chat about was your love of sport generally. You've been, I think each year you've been getting to Wimbledon to watch the tennis and cricket, of course, a great love. And you're heavily involved in the reviews of the Cricket Australia in the last few years. Have you got any sort of thoughts just generally around, um, you have to go into specifics so much, but around uh, your reflections around Australian cricket as a, you know, it's a, it's a sport that we all love in Australia. Be fascinating in your thoughts on on where that was and where it's heading? Yeah, look, uh, they're going through a – they've uh, the the brief we had in 2011 to uh, to do a review of the um, the poor performance of Australia, I think we dropped down to number five in the test rankings. Uh, we were nowhere in the T20, and I think we might have been number two in the one-dayers when we did that review and it, uh, and it was quite interesting and it was you had some you had a team of talented cricketers but they all weren't pulling together they needed a they needed a catalyst to pull them all together and and start to play as a team and i think cricket is a mixture of, of team and individual performance um Working with guys like Alan Border and Mark Taylor and, um, and Steve War was was quite incredible. Just to, and they all came from different eras. They all had different different success levels, and it's quite interesting. The guys that were able to pull a team together, like Alan, had to pull a young team together after they had been murdered by the West Indies. Uh, you have a look at Mark Taylor with his. Uh, Different leadership style. He was a, a quieter individual. wasn't interested in his own performance and was pretty, uh, pretty much a, uh, a person that got a lot of value out of a team winning. And then you had Steve Waugh that was uh, seemed to be unflappable, and um, you know he 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 had the, the courage to drop Wayne uh, Shane Warne over in the West Indies that time and. Uh, 
and that that was unfortunate that that's sort of uh, uh, been a bit of a uh, uh, an unfortunate event for both of them because they've lost their friendship but um, you know that that team was just a, just a fabulous team of individuals but then you then when your succession planning comes along and this is where I don't believe sport has got it right a bit like a bit like businesses you don't get your succession planning right so I'd, I'd argue in in uh, in the 80s in uh, with Camberwell I thought we got our succession pretty well right as to when you lost your key players. There was another group coming through. And when I joined Campbell, they'd been through that downtime and they were concentrating a lot on their juniors. And and we were you were the first product of that concentration of juniors to come through. And that 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 held Campbell together in their playing performances, in my view, right up till the current time and it's it's great to see it continuing now I, I look at I look at the world post the COVID-19 disease and and um, sporting bodies are going to have to go back to their nurseries uh, they won't be able to pay the big money that they've had from television rights in the past and some of these guys have got huge expectations. See, I look at look at my favourite rugby league team, the Broncos. Uh, they went through a tremendous era of success, and now they're second bottom, and and they're losing some of their key players, and they're losing them because of money. Now there's something wrong. Something's gone amiss in the structure of that. And if you don't, if you don't make the working facility that you're, whether it's sport or whether it's business, if you don't make that conducive to be an enjoyable event, uh, uh, despite all the, the pressures you might be under, then people become disenchanted and they do other things. And we're going to go through that, I believe. Uh, people are going to gravitate back to the, to the, the club-type scene looking for just that outlet rather than looking for recognition of personal pieces. Now, there'll still be the Australian representatives and the state representatives, and that's that's important. But I think the world's going to go through that as we come out of this uh, this mess we're in now. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I must admit I'm slightly surprised with your intellect that you wouldn't have just worked out that the Melbourne Storm are really the Queensland number one rugby <laughs> side right now anyway. So um, I, I think your comments around community sport are spot on. I think we're all at the club level today down at Camberwell and other community clubs, other sports going through COVID. We've had to really think hard about why do we play sport, you know, what time we put into it, is it worth the effort? And um, I think we all know it is, but it's been challenging for, for coaches, for, for juniors, for parents to um, and for clubs to get themselves. It's been a you know, heck of a lot of work. Um, it was quite... Disappointing recently when everything had to stop again, having um, already had one uh, crack at it. It's been fascinating. I think you're spot on, though. The professional sports um, have got their issues. And if the grassroots is not healthy, then, um, you know, sport itself is going to be in for um, in for a really tough time. Um, I, I had just to sort of finish up on, I was, you know, also just talk about your, your most famous sayings, Arg, because you had some, uh, as, as the players of that era would reflect back, the... Um, I mentioned earlier the cream puffs was your 
Um, yeah, it was one of your yeah, favourites. That, um, that was the commercial hobby side. The commercial, the, your, your Queensland opponents. And, of course, uh, when you didn't want players of limited ability trying to be superstars, I think that might have been can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Or, that's, that's right. And that, yep. that still applies. Still applies. <laughs> Fantastic. They're uh, timeless, your uh, Saints. Any others that I've that I've missed? I um, uh, got I got a lot to them, David, but a couple of others I probably can't repeat. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny, Jenny's <laughs> probably the one who uh, to do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> yes, you mentioned Jenny's daughter, who again played in the Premiership side for the Camwell Women, and um, uh, had a great time while she was she was there and played some great state hockey as well. Uh, look, I guess um, we'll finish. We'll finish up around that. But I, I think, on behalf of the club, and of course, lots and lots of people that you influenced, um, many players, you know, a great chance now to actually just say a big thank you because you've been, you know, a huge contributor um, in the time you were there coaching, playing, but even since to be um, still a support. I think people love the fact that you're still connected and come down um, and have an interest. Um, and uh, you know, it's been a, it's been um, great from a club point of view to have your your involvement and it's um, as you talk about succession uh, many times through that chat it's still having an impact um, Andrew Henderson who you coached has you know had a, had a huge impact in the last decade of coaching the Premier League and he's he's creating some um, some great uh, characters from his um, his crop that have um, yeah. had, a, had a very good era yeah it's good good to see thank you again yeah and thanks for your time today and Good health with your golf and um, and hope that we get this world, we can travel internationally again. Um, you've probably got a, still a few things to tick off on the bucket list. Oh, yeah, 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 but not not probably. Uh, well, the first the first objective is to try to get to Queensland. We've tried four times, David, and uh, without result. <laughs> Never mind. Well, I hope you get back there. It's a great uh, place, but uh, we'll sign off there. But thanks, Arg, for your time, and um, we'll see you down at the club soon. All right, mate. Good to talk to you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. We'd like to send a big thank you to our hosting team, our guests, and you, the listener, for your support. If you enjoy the show, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is recorded and produced by Camberwell Hockey Club in Melbourne, Australia. If you have any feedback, comments, or questions, please find us on Twitter at Camberwell underscore HC or see more information on our website camberwell.hockey See you next week